Listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth, and we are going to review our most recent live event because we have another one coming up on March 28th. That's right. This is, we're talking about the WTNS Live at the City Winery United Music, Philanthropy, and Podcasting. This one was with Steve Lopez and DJ Logic, as well as Voodoo Visionary. And we'll talk more about that, but we have to get to a few things first. Uh, our thank yous, Harrison big Sullivan. Thank yous, Harrison Sullivan, big time. Um, he's been working on social media. He's been, uh, helping us, uh, with, uh, we're indexing the interviews more. He's, he's just doing more and more work. And he also helps Rob, uh, you know, get dressed in the morning, but and that's yeah, we also, the point. <laughs> and we also, uh, get excited when Humphreys breaks out Dire Straits covers together. And big thank you to Josh Thane, Wonder Dog Sound Studios and Josh Thane productions.com uh, Robert... By the way, Migrant Worker, his band will be playing at Sweetwater 420 Festival. Yeah, that's right. And Robert Kwan. Uh, who is, is assembling this episode. Yeah, not only that, but recorded all of our WTNS lives up to this date. And so. Ira Gross, uh, whose Matrix is the audience, is the recording you will hear of Voodoo Visionaries music. But moving on, we are mm-hmm. part of a family of podcasts called Osiris Pod. And um, uh, it's a, gr- <laughs> a group of culture. <laughs> it's a group like-minded of- cultural and music podcasts. We're partnered with Relics Magazine, who's been um, sharing our um, RJB's uh, weekly wrap-up. So thank you very much for that, Relics. I also, my review of Snarky Puppies, two concerts right here in this room at the Variety Playhouse will be in 
I don't oh, know what issue. Oh, Mazel Tov, Rob. Mazel Tov. And, and by the way, if Osiris Podcast Network is not only music-related, but culture-related. Yes. And I also... In the past, we've talked about how we've put it together to, to benefit the podcasts, and that is true because traditional media ignores podcasts for the most part. I wonder why that is, Seth. Because <laughs> we're rising and they're falling. But anyways, it's also to benefit you, the listener. So, Seth, Casher Trade has provided us the first example of that. Could you? Yeah, let me tell you about that. Casher Trade. So if you all have heard cash or trade.org, they are... Basically, a secondary ticket market. They have been called the Airbnb of tickets. They help real fans like you all listening. They help real fans like you avoid scalping and purchase tickets for face value. Together, they are in charge of... They're basically making a change in this industry, which is so badly needed. If you go to cashertrade.org slash Osiris, that's O-S-I-R-I-S. Yes, listen here, folks. You're going to get 25% off a year of the gold membership. Now the gold membership comes with an option of receiving push and text notifications each time a ticket is purchased, excuse me, posted uh, that you're looking for. So you can also reply immediately without delay and the gain of the renew feature to bump your posts to the top of the list and increasing your post exposure when you're looking for those hard tickets to get. So summer's coming. Now's the time. Go to cash or trade.org slash Osiris and add the coupon code Osiris when you check out and get 25% 25% off. You can help Osiris Pod and our network of podcasts as well as get yourself into a good position for, you know, buying tickets for difficult shows. And speaking of difficult shows. Before you move on, though, I mean, there's like, they've been on some of our other podcasts. I'll point out specifically where in future episodes. What is wrong? Well, you're popping right. You, you just get this a little. This is why I should have headphones. So. You should just. Anyways, moving on. Um, be prepared and then. No, you, have you should problems. have headphones and then hey, I well, could... Let's get in a fight, Rob. Right? Perfect. People love that. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Wait, is your name Rob or is it Bob? It's Joey. Okay, Joey. Anyway. My, so... my group me name is Ron. Why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you tell our listeners who. Well, no, because I'm on Twitter a lot and I love watching people. No one is on get Twitter. T- tickets to tough shows because of cash or trade. Don't deal with scalpers. Don't and you can't even buy tickets a day of shows anymore because you don't know if people what people do now since you can print the, the tickets people will print multiple copies of it they'll go into the show with one of them and then sell the others and you walk up to the door and the thing doesn't work don't don't get stuck in all that but we're about to um, before we lead you into the WTNS live stuff ooh look at Seth is getting me headphones we are going to mention the musicians that played. At our wear them, you might as well wear them. We had the core voodoo visionary group, and if you don't know them, then get out of the house more. But they were joined by their horn section, uh, Martin Anderson and, and Ben Otieno. I don't know, but I love Ben. Love hanging out with Ben. He's the kind of guy who walks in a room and, and lifts the energy. Uh, also, Jose Rivera, who's a lot like that, too. He's a percussionist and um, also a bit of an instigator. And then we had Heather Gillis, who came up from Florida to play guitar. We had Grant Green Jr., but I guess he just uh, sang. We had Nika, Nika Hilliard, uh, Donna Hopkins, Jim Laughlin, who um, I watched enjoy your auctioning, auctioneering. He was your first auctioneering fan. DJ Logic was all over it and was a great honor to have him. Uh, uh, Garv Garv Maltra? Garv. Maltra, who always lets us hang uh, our posters in his store. And he doesn't really let people do that. He's very supportive of the podcast in that way. His store store is called Nectar. It's a wonderful juice smoothie company here out of Atlanta. I love it. I love their sandwiches, too, and they're expanding. We'll have more information on that soon. Uh, Christopher Michael on vocals and the 
dazzling and engaging Ruby Vell. Ruby. You but mentioned Joe yet? Last but least, Joe Marcinek. Go ahead. We, uh, Joe is um, a fantastic guitarist who actually smoked at this show. And he is putting out an album. Yeah, he's got his uh, another album. He's got a GoFundMe. Definitely check it out. It's all over our Instagram and our Facebook and all those things as well. We highly support Joe. He's an amazing musician and he's an amazing person. He really he's he's he brings people together. He brings other musicians together in a way like like I haven't seen in a long time. Also so. very supportive of the podcast on social media, which is which is very helpful um, because it's a, it's an uphill battle trying to make a podcast be successful. Mm-hmm. And on that note, if you have a business and you're trying to be successful, I highly recommend Polay and Clark. That's Polay Clark, 21st Century Accounting. Folks, April is coming. Don't get screwed. Get Polayed. So, and also, all the music you hear will be from our live event. And if you would like to hear the show in its entirety, we'll be tweeting it out, uh, a link. Uh, we'll also be putting a link on our website. And it's worth listening to. And so we're going to start off by actually starting where we started with these. So March 28th, by the way, is our next WTNS Live. And that's at the City Winery featuring Anders Beck and Benny Burrell. Galloway. Uh, we're going to be raising money for Little Kids Rock, which is a nonprofit organization, and we've got uh, a lot of stuff in store for that one, such as you have an opportunity to win tickets to Sweetwater 420 Festival, and we're going to be auctioning off a pair of VIP tickets to Sweetwater 420 Festival, and that's sold out, by the way, the VIP. So, um, other stuff on that as well, but I do want to make a big mention, though. Um, we talked about Relics, Relics, and String Cheese, uh, Kyle from String Cheese, and Sweetwater came up with a brew called Ground Score, and this is where they are going to release the Ground Score in Atlanta at this show. So March 28th, a lot of Sweetwater's going to be doing a tap takeover, and so yeah, we hope you can make it, but on that note, this, what we're about to play, is from our... Yes, what we do is at the very beginning, we do the interview portion because some people don't want to see an interview live. So we knock it out. If you want to see us interview live, come early, come for the very start. And please be prepared to be quiet and and listen because there are people who, believe it or not, want to hear us the interviews live. And um, you can take a listen. This is the majority of of what we did. We're going to start with uh, talking with Steve Lopez, who is Widesper Panic's tour manager. He had experience with Jerry Joseph. And, um, well, we're going to hear about it. Let's roll it right now. He was in Little Women. He was in the Jack Mormons, and they're about to. He he had told me that he they just uh, they decided to go on the road, and they were going to go cross country for the first time in a long in a long time that you know he he'd been he hadn't been traveling for a while, and they were going to go down south for the first time, and they were going to open up some shows with Widespread Panic, and he wanted to know if I wanted to come on board and tour manage him, and so I went home for a couple of days, and I thought about it, and it was probably going to be. One of the longest times I was going to be gone, it was pretty much, it was for the whole year, it was like, go down south, come out west, go down south, you know, back and forth the whole time. But I said yes. And I, uh, like in a week or two weeks, we uh, we hauled ass, and, and our first shows were actually opening up for Widespread Panic at uh, Oak Mountain Amphitheater. And you kind of caught their eye rather quickly, did you not? That's, the, yeah, exactly. Um, that same year... We did Oak Mountain, we made it out west again, and then, um, shoot, we played before or afterwards in Breckenridge, Colorado, and, no, 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 sorry, um, timeline. <laughs> we can, let's rewind that, where's, Log- where's Logic when we need us? Um, we played New York City, and in New York City, the production assistant at the time, Eric Draper, um, who's been reunited with us, because I got him back out doing merchandise with us. 
pulled me aside and, at, and said that he was about to venture off to Costa Rica for I don't know how long, and he wanted to know if, if it was okay for him to throw my name in the hat. And I said, wow. Um, got to talk to Jerry. Got to talk to Jerry first. So for the rest of the tour, I did not talk to Jerry. <laughs> and I got brave enough that one day I was in Salt Lake City, and that day I decided that I was going to talk to Jerry, pierce my tongue, that way I couldn't talk back to him, or I couldn't say anything if he got mad at me. So I got to Salt Lake City, and we sat by the pool, and you know the rest of the band knew that was the bad thing. Junior and Brad, Junior the bass player and Brad the drummer, they knew, because they knew, you know, they, I spent the most time with them, so they knew something was off the whole week or two weeks. Or Awkward. Exactly. So I finally, you know, after a couple of drinks, I broke down and told him, and and Jerry looked at me and said, I knew this was coming. This happens to my songs. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me and he started crying. He said, everybody leaves me. Uh, he did not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you guys bought that. <laughs> Why? Oh, my God. But he did say that it, he's like, he, he did say that he thought that this was coming, etc. And he gave me his blessing. But the best part is that I think Mikey had already called him. And so did Gary Vereen, our longtime uh, equipment manager and longtime crew member. They they didn't want to take me away from Jerry unless it was cool with Jerry. So they had they had called him and asked him if it was cool, and Jerry already said yes. And I think maybe in a weird way, Jerry was waiting for me to talk to him. And the fact that I did, he gave me his blessing, and off I went. Just so you guys know, Mikey is Mike Hauser, founding member, uh, namesake of of the band White Panic, who we lost about fifteen years ago. It's been 15 years. Yeah, over 15. A little longer. Yeah. Wow. Maybe 15. I don't know. So what were your 15. first duties, and how do you, how do you work your way that in? Was, that was great. It was a position where they, they called me, and they said that you're not going to be in charge anymore, so you're going to start off down here, but it is a step in your career. That just rhymed. Um, where's logic? <laughs> you are, you're spitting out the logic. <laughs> what are, you don't need logic exactly. when you have logic here. Um, just make sure I don't drop the mic before I'm supposed to drop it. <laughs> um, so part of the job was just being the production assistant. I was going to make sure that the coolers were stocked, the dressing rooms were fulfilled you know, by the, by the promoter. And um, you did a good job with that tonight. Thank you. Yeah, perfect. Well, tonight he's in charge of emptying them. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we need more beer, by the way. Um, so that was my job. I was a production assistant. I iced the buses. I made passes. I helped out Trey Allen at the time. He was our tour manager. Our assistant tour manager, Shaw Garrison, um, who was also in charge of the of merchandise at the time. I'd help them out and facilitate, you know, printing out day sheets, putting up day sheets, uh, coordinating with runners. I felt like I was doing the job of everybody, but, it, you know, I started off small. I wasn't, you know, making any calls. I wasn't being called, which was nice. But that's a key point. It seems annoying in the short run that you're doing all this work, but eventually when you're tour manager, you have an intimate understanding of all that goes on. So it's Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, uh, I still, uh, you know, when I become a tour manager, when you became a tour manager or whatnot, I, I, I moved my way, I moved up. You know? the, what are the steps? It was, uh, in this case, it was production assistant, and then I pretty much just kind of forced myself and made myself the assistant tour manager. Um, I just started doing the job, but, you know, I just... I just took control. I, I, 
I knew what the band needed. I knew what the tour manager needed. And I think that was the key. It's just making life easier for the tour manager got me to the position of being the assistant tour manager. Then at a certain point, Trey Allen, he wanted to venture out and do, do something else. So he pulled me aside and he said, you know, I'm not sure what the guys are going to want to do, but obviously you're the first pick. And I s- said to myself, if I'm not the first pick, then I'm getting out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, obviously it was, the, it was the first phone call I received. Uh, John Bell, JB, my buddy, uh, gave me a call and said, hey, man, are you up for this? And I said, hell yeah. And, and there you were. There I am. That was, uh, I don't even know how long ago that, like 2004 or five. Do you remember? Many, many Anybody remember? We do trivia here. Who knows? <laughs> First person who remembers when I started as the tour manager gets two VIP passes for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly knowledgeable. <laughs> so your job becomes moving the band in a time efficient manner. and Absolutely. It's, it's l- Sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean. What, what? They're already Sorry. in the band. <laughs> you step in tour manager. You're new. How, is it awkward to tell? I mean, essentially, by then, they're kind of a big band. Uh, are they receptive to you or uh, hurting, if you will? Yeah, it took a little bit. Um, uh, I, I think... Just spit it out. You got schooled. <laughs> I did get schooled. Go I ahead, got Dave schooled. School stories. Bring them. I got fingered by JoJo. Oh! It's uh, <laughs> usually an extra charge. Just kidding. That's a sticker that's on one of my production cases. Um, so, no, it was, it was tough. It was weird, but I feel like I quickly, we're a big family. It's like we're a business, and, and besides being a band and a crew or whatnot, we're, we're floating around as a business. You know, We, keep every, we let people have fun. We let people do what they want to do, but just as long as you're getting your job done. And when I started as a production assistant, I think I gained everybody's trust to the point you know, where you know, I was – I was around when they were they were talking business, discussing business. You become a necessity uh, in exactly. a lot of ways. Yeah, and so it took maybe it took a moment, but then after a, uh, after a while, it's uh, the band doesn't move. The band when you see the band Widespread Panic, I'm there. So people who text me, call me, and ask me if I'm there, just either ask me if you need a ticket because if you're fishing, that's what you're doing. But I'm there. I'm there wherever they go. If the band watch, you know, it's. I don't think I've, I haven't missed a show with them. Even um, radio events, anything? Everything. Anything, anytime the White Street Panic is playing somewhere, I'm there. The only time I'm not there is when they do individual events. But I, you know, my management company and I, we manage a couple of the guys. So we're there when, you know, we try to be there when, you know, the guys are there. But when JB plays somewhere, I'm usually in, normally there. And you've been through some rough moments. Tons. Uh, there was one where you're on the road, headed to a gig, and the bus driver had a heart attack while driving. Isn't that correct? He did. Um, we weren't traveling. Fortunately, or not fortunately, I'm not even sure how to say this, but... Um, could have been worse. Could have been worse. Could have been a lot worse. It was 2011 or 12, and I'm sorry, the dates just kind of all meshed together. We, uh, we had a night off, and every tour that we do... We always tend we you know we always try to do a big huge band and crew dinner. I'll rent out a restaurant a place as big as this, and we'll all sit down and we'll all have fun. And the band gets up and thanks everybody, and, and the crew has a good time and all that. So we had it that night in Ames, Iowa, or in Des Moines, Iowa. So the next morning we all had to get up, and it, since it was a day off the the night before, 
the buses leave and in, in, they stagger. So the first bus leaves and it's uh, lights and sound, and they left at maybe seven in the morning. The next bus left, and it was our backline bus that had our production manager. No, production manager was already there. Had our backline crew that got the text that you see on stage, our merchandise, and our merchandise girl. And thankfully, I'll get to it. She was there. On the way, maybe 20 minutes outside of Ames, Iowa, our bus driver suffered a heart attack. And in the middle of a conversation with uh, Rachel Kellenberger, our merchandiser, and he... Lean left, and the the bus hopped the median, and it was on the verge of uh, oncoming traffic on I don't know what highway it was, and the serendipitous blessing was a couple nights before. You know, we all stay up, and sometimes we all take turns sitting up front with the bus driver because if you don't, it's just a wall, and you're just in this like tube flying down the highway, and Rachel had walked up there maybe two nights before and started asking, you know, probably had a couple drinks in there and started asking questions about buttons. And she happened to be up front when he suffered the heart attack and she knew exactly how to stop the bus. Oh, wow. wow. And it stopped. It crashed. Um, our bunks fell on top of one another. Uh, one of my guys, I think, suffered a r- broken rib, a couple broken ribs. Two of the crew guys jumped up, pulled the driver out, um, started CPR, Etc. And uh, it was uh, it was too late, but uh, and it was really weird. The show went on, um, sombering moment, and that was not our first. You know, we we've lost a an LD before. Um, yeah, that so was just he was just crossing the street to get food or something. He was. We happened to be in Austin, and it, sorry, it's a bummer, people. Sorry, we, we'll pick it up. We'll, we'll think of something great stuff fun here to up. say. Don't worry. Um, so that, that happened, the bus driver, but years before we had an LD, we had a couple nights off and he didn't show up to our Austin city limits taping. And we all wondered why, 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 uh, you know, people were giving up thinking maybe he just quit on us, but, uh, he was crossing the street to get some food, going to a Wendy's. He had told his wife, it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm crossing the street to go Wendy's. I'll talk to you after I get food. And, and, uh, no one could find him. Four days later, we found him. There, somebody found him on the side of the road, and he had been hit and hit and run. Huh? run. Till this day, we do not know who did it. So, how do you keep morale up among your troops after <laughs> these events? <laughs> you know, you got to go uh, play a gig after after you find these well, things out. You know, I'm. I would say that I'm a. Fu- you know, maybe I'm not. If this was live, maybe pe- the phone lines would start ringing right now to to contradict what I'm about to say. But I feel like. I, I want to make people happy and smile and laugh. So I'm the king of those too soon jokes or whatnot. And s- some people might say it's not appropriate, but for my That's type, what she said. <laughs> for my crew, <laughs> for my crew and for the people that I surround myself with who are the, the best and they're professional from production manager to merchandise to whatever. I feel like I make them laugh and I, I make them feel at ease because if they need time to deal with it, I'm not going to yell at them or not pressure them. The main focus is to make sure that we're up and running and the six guys that I, I tour manage are going are gonna to do the job that needs to be done and then we're just going to work through it. And I remember specifically that night when our bus driver died or passed away. Um how we dealt with it is that we had a bus party and Gary Vereen, uh, 
did it. He like walked up to me and said, I need this, this and that. And this, this and that means a lot of alcohol <laughs> and a little, and a little, <laughs> and, uh, and we sat on the bus that night and we cranked, I think we actually cranked Jerry Joseph. We might even played our own band, Weisford Panic, so freaking loud and did so many shots. And the best part is the band wanted us to. They were like, deal with it how you can deal with it. And I think for that hour and a half, we all sat there and we quickly, fast, went through all the motions. You know, you know it lasted for a long time, but it was... You know, we were all there for one another, and we just did it quickly. Oh, okay, and now we move on to a little toward the end of the DJ Logic interview because we have a live elephant in the room. So that's the first time of the rare live elephant, and um, and then we bring out DJ Logic. Let's go ahead and roll that. And we're rolling. There is an elephant in the room, Seth. Do a live elephant. <laughs> Very rare, live elephant. Yeah. You just played St. Augustine in the, in the wake of a, of a hurricane. Uh, yeah, it was how, crazy. It how was did fun. that change? In a flood of a hurricane, a not in the wake of a hurricane. The best was the conversation I just had with Seth earlier, and he said that you know the hardest ticket to get to before the hurricane ended up being the easiest ticket to get to if you made your way down there. That's a Bill Graham move, isn't it? To sell the show <laughs> out and then have a hurricane in between? He produced the hurricane. Ah. <laughs> Makes sense. But, yeah, it, it, to we me. did it. It was fun. Um, felt bad for the city. There were certain spots where it still didn't have power. Some people didn't have food. But the people who made it there found their places, found some food, and it, we all, it all happened. Well, you, wake, you woke up Thursday morning not even knowing your hotel was going to have power, did you not? I did not, yeah. We, uh, it was back and forth where I was getting these horror stories, these reports, and I didn't know who to trust, who to believe. And I didn't know one thing, though. Fox News. Always exactly. believe in Fox News. <laughs> Fake news. Um, but I did know one thing is that I was believing the people who the, the managers at our hotel and, the, and they were telling me the truth. And the fact was that on Wednesday night, we did not have power at the band hotel. So I started planning my other options and I was like, what about this? And they were like, closed. What about this? Closed. And I was like, OK, well, what about the crew hotel? We have rooms, but we've guaranteed them for Florida Power and Lights and the city officials. So as long as they don't check in, you can have my rooms. So I was like, man, this is going to be fun. It's <laughs> like, we'll stay so in who Miami. Who would be the one that would go to schools and tell them, so you're going to have to stay on the uh, bus? It, it gets weird. We thought about getting a bus. We thought about staying at the venue. And the worst part was like, I think that night, I forget, um, I got a phone call and, and Dave's flight was canceled. Oh, God. <laughs> and uh, his flight was rerouted. He was rechecked in, but it was a flight leaving on Saturday going from San Fran to New York to Philly to Jacksonville. And I said, no, that's not going to work. So How much it, of this is now on you and not management? All of it, right? Is this it? is all me. This is all me. I'm dealing with all of it. I'm the only one stressing about it. And, well, you know, maybe, maybe our booking agent, Buck, he, he's stressing about it because I'm telling him this sucks. <laughs> let's, re- let's reschedule. Postpone, postpone. Um, my better half, Jenny, she's, uh, she's like, oh, geez, I, I don't want any part of this. Uh, I'm not going to go. And I'm like, thanks, because <laughs> I don't want to go. So it was, it was frustrating. But, you know, we got down there. We made it through. It was weird. You know, like, I was like, hey, is room service open? They're like, no, we haven't had any power, but we can offer you a great hummus plate. <laughs> I'm some like, wait t- a minute. Some saltines. <laughs> I, know, I was like, hummus, doesn't it have to be refrigerated? I've been, I've been hummus-plated into submission before. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. The ho- hotel was still hot because it had been out of power for like four days. It was, smelled like it would 
been sweating. It was weird. But mm. by Sunday, you know, the last day, I was like, oh, this the smell, smell like It smelled like your fan base. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, no, just uh, kidding. Calm down. What was great? I don't know if I should say this, but I'm going to. No one's listening. Interesting fact. Um, so on Thursday when we checked in, out of 136 rooms of the hotel, only 17 were booked. And I was like, damn, I feel bad because I have 10 of those. So I was like, this is going to be a perfect weekend. You know, no fans or whatever. But the blessing <laughs> was that uh, Florida Power and Lights, no, believe it or not, I, well, we got there, we checked in. And as we were checking in, there was this line of, of linemen. I don't know, linemen or electricians that work on the lines outside. Trucks of linemen. And they're like, oh, we just got off the phone. And we just booked 60 rooms from a group from Ohio, Ohio Power and Lights, drove down to Florida to save the day. Wow. So that night, the band or the band doesn't know this, but I did it. I bought them all a beer. <laughs> there you go. Yep. And on that note, we're gonna buy. No, I'm just kidding. So uh, you can hang around. You're gonna, but let's, uh, You're gonna panel. Yeah, sure. What are we doing? Yeah, we're gonna right. invite uh, DJ well, Logic up here. But Mr. Rob, what else do you have to say? Nothing. I'd like to please give a. We're very very fortunate. He's flown in, Mr. Jason DJ Logic Kibler. Big big Atlanta welcome. Come on, Come on DJ. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah, love Jason. Learned a lot about Lopez. <laughs> and now we're going to quiz you. Where, what year was it that Lopez got it? So this guy grew up listening to soul and jazz with his mom singing around the house. He's living in the Bronx. Starts getting a little whiff for music. And uh, gets into hip-hop. But you, you, did you ever rap at all? Yeah, just, uh, you know, just... To myself in the shower and oh, stuff. Oh, let's hear it. Let's know. hear it. Uh, Rock Cam, it's been a long time since I left you. Uh, with Sugar Hill Gang, you know, Hotel, Motel. He's, Run he's still Run DMC, you know, Walk This Way. Oh, I was into everything. Trial Code Quest, everything. Yeah. And you had a neighbor who was a drummer, right? I had a neighbor who was a drummer, yes. And he, he played those drums very loud. So you would just hear and then... Yeah, well, I was in another building, so I heard him. He was, you know, playing loud and just getting through the walls. So I kind of vibed right over there and was like, hey, I was just interest, interested in what he was doing, open-minded, and uh, I just said, hey, you know, I'd love to check out what you're doing, what you're playing, and stuff like that. And he was all into alternative rock music and jazz and hip-hop as well. And, uh, yeah, he just kind of... Taught me and molded me into. He had tables. No, he didn't have tables. He was just. Uh, what did he eat on? What did he eat on drums? <laughs> <laughs> New York, that actually makes sense. And stuff. Yeah. Not the snare though. <laughs> Never eat on the snare drum. Yeah, and his name was Rich Rich Harrison. Great, you still in touch with him? Yeah, I'm still in touch with Rich. Yeah, yeah. Rich is listening there. today. I hope so. <laughs> so, <laughs> how did you get from that to getting an actual gig at the Knitting Factory? Uh, well, he was also playing with a alternative rock band which was called I&I at the time. And uh, I&I was uh, a, a very eclectic band, a uh, turn of rock band, I should say. D.K. Dyson, Melvin Gibbs, Gary Polson on guitar. Um, and they were also part of the Black Rock Coalition. And uh, that's how I got brought down um, into that, which was down in the... Uh, Downtown scene and part of the, in the village, you know, so that's why I was coming from the Bronx, going t into Manhattan. I never seen 
the village or knew anything about the village or CBGBs or Knitting Factory and all that. I've heard of punk rock clubs. I've heard of jazz clubs, but this is like a whole other experience for a Bronx kid coming down to this other scene. I was a teenager, you know, so I was just open-minded. There was a whole lot of things happening at that time. You know, hip-hop was just happening, and I was exposed to that, as well as being exposed to a whole other genre of music, you know. So my my brain was fresh, and it was a sponge, and, you know, I just wanted to experience and, and, uh, and explore, you know. So he took me under his wing to meet this wonderful band, and, uh, you know, they took me under the wing, and... We started doing these rehearsals in these little warehouse um, places, and uh, one place was the music building on 33rd Street or something like that, way back there. It's a music building, if you, you look, look it up. There's a lot of great bands who've played in this building, and you walk up to it, you can hear everybody just playing all type of stuff. And I would rehearse there, and we rehearsed for shows like for the Knitting Factory, and as well as CBGBs, and... Uh, you know, so when we would do the Knitting Factory shows, they would be just improvised jazz shows. And that's where I got my experience of learning how to just play around musicians. And, uh, you know, it's more about listening and paying attention and also try to find my place and my role around all of the musicians. If it was a keyboardist or a sax player or a drummer, and these guys would just start improvising and then, you know, I would just be scratching my head sometimes, like, okay, because sometimes I'd be going out there. And uh, I just kind of found my, my uh, you know, found my space. To be able well, to and your thing. space is to use the... Space. To, to use it more as an instrument than to use samples. You're more into sounds. Well, yeah, using, using my turntable as an instrument and finding the spaces in between whoever I'm playing with to add the sounds that, you know, that I was hearing or rhythms, you know, so... Uh, was that something from the start or was that something that took a while for you to, to it, get that? It took a while and also took, a, you know, I was listening to a lot of records that was, that I was inspired by from jazz to, you know, like my mom's playing soul records and listening to other rock records as well as hip-hop. So, you know, I just kind of created my... Own little thing, you know. Yeah, Matt, yeah. isn't Grant Green one of those records? Grant Green. Yep. And we have his son here we tonight. We do. We got Junior here. Later, Grant Junior. Grant Junior. So I love Grant. was there a DJ that you were looking up to at the time that really was doing this sort of stuff? Or this is totally like you're going to the Knitting Factory and cutting your teeth on a whole new thing? Uh, you know, yeah, it was, it was a lot of peers before me, you know. Grandmaster Flash, Kuhirk, Herc, uh, DS, DST, Premier, uh, Jam Master J, you know, and the, all these guys were very eclectic DJs themselves, doing a lot of interesting things. And, um, you know, and I wanted to have a cool name just like they had, you know, so I had to look, go in the dictionary, look up, for, uh, do the glossary for something that represented me and what I was doing. And that was logic. So I was like, oh, that sounds good. I can hear people saying that and understand what I was doing, bringing to the table, you know, uh, collaborating with the musicians. Even though they didn't understand it, they, it definitely got their heads nodding and, you know, their feet tapping. So yeah. it was good. And um, there was a key decision point around this time because you're still doing it for fun. But then at some point, you get invited to the Amsterdam Jazz You don't Festival. think he's doing it for fun anymore. <laughs> well, he used to play for silver, and now he plays for life. So. God, sorry. Yeah. So what, um, 
how did you get booked to this Amsterdam Jazz Festival, and was it a tough decision to go to it? And then after that, are you looking at this? This is my profession now. Well, yeah, that was uh, that was special for me because I never been out of the country and and one of the places Amsterdam. You know, everybody's heard of Amsterdam, or talked about Amsterdam. So you know, and I was young, and uh, the band was invited on this festival. It was the Knitting Factory Jazz Fest, and uh, yeah, I just went home. Told my mom, says like, hey, uh, the, the band's going to Europe. Do you mind if I go to Europe? And she was like, what? You don't have a passport. You have a. And she was like, who, who, who's this band? And I was like, oh. So you know, I had to introduce. Being loose about it, but she really wasn't into it at all, right? Mm, well, she was just trying. She's more curious in being a mother. You Maybe know? she was more worried about not the miles, but that the plane travels, <laughs> but how high the plane yeah, travels. Yeah, that too. Going to Amsterdam. <laughs> Yeah, that too, probably, you know. But yeah, once I, once I got to Amsterdam, it was just it just opened, you know, opened my mind up to a lot of beautiful things. So Amsterdam has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Does, it does, it does. <laughs> so was it after that that you met Billy Martin at CBGB's of Mineski Martin Wood? Um, yeah, I met Billy Martin um, at CBGB's gallery. With uh, I was playing with uh, Vernon Reed from Living Color. I was doing a project with him. Yeah, right on. Vernon is this West. is this all before Wetlands this stuff that you were doing around the same time? I was all around. It was a lot going on around that time. I was hitting, and, <laughs> but it was all you know. Like I said, it was it was I was having fun, and and it was uh, wonderful just to be working with so many wonderful musicians. But uh, I met uh, Billy when I was playing with uh, Vernon Reed and uh, Modesky Martinwood had opened up and um, and then uh, Billy and John and Chris, they were all hanging around and they were watching me play with Vernon and saw what I was doing and what I was bringing to the table and uh, they just talked about wanting to work with me one day and I just remembered that and I met Liz Penta who was their manager at the time and uh, yeah, you know, I just exchanged info and one, you know, maybe like Three years, two years down the line, they hit me up, and they was like, "Hey, we'd love for you to come out and do this little series with us. Uh, we're doing this little residency at the Knitting Factory, and it was going to be a tribute to uh, was one of the records called uh, Shack Man, and they were doing Shack Man release party, and uh, they picked a few different DJs, myself, Prince Paul, DJ Prince Paul, and uh, who else? Uh, G- I think Jazzy Nice or something like that, and uh, you know, at the time I didn't follow too much of the, what they were doing, and I just wanted to bring, you know, something different to the table. And uh, you know, I was like, I was into hip hop, I was into jazz, and you know, acid jazz stuff, stuff that was coming out of Europe as well. So I wanted to kind of, you know, open people's minds up with something different and cool and unique, as well as some of the older jazz records that I was listening to, the rare grooves and stuff like that. So I would just be making it a do a, like an eclectic set of hip hop and rare groove jazz, and you know, and as well as scratching and stuff. And they pushed me off to the side where you couldn't see me. On I was in the corner. And Is that before laptops? So you were yeah. carrying around all these albums. Yeah, that was before laptops, That's and I was question. carrying like two cases of records. That was like my going to the gym and my turntables, <laughs> and my you know I just bought everything because you know I was two turntables. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I didn't mind the I didn't mind the lug. You know I didn't mind the lug, and I also had a friend who with me. He helped me out as well, but I didn't mind lugging all my stuff. You know I felt proud. You know just to be able to 
play in front of everyone and have everyone, you know, hear what I was doing. But it seemed like the Medeski Martin and Wood collaboration. You you were known before that. That seemed to like open up all these doors for you. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's amazing to me that not only did you play with an incredible array of musicians, but you're kind of exposing their fan bases to scratching in a lot of cases too. Whether it's Marcus Miller or the Grateful Dead. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be a level of intimidation to that when you know some element of the audience is not immediately going to be receptive to what you're doing. Right, and that. You know, that never bothered me, you know, because when I started out playing at the jazz, improvisational jazz club, it was always people, you know, kind of doubting and, you know, um, you know, how you say, uh, I can't think of the word right now. But, yeah, you could see people like, hmm, shaking their heads, doing like this. But I knew if I had them doing that, I knew I had their attention. You know, I know I was doing something, you know, and I just look at it like, you know, it was like some food or something. You're putting a little seasoning, you know, and I was just adding a little seasoning here and there. You know, I wasn't trying to change anything. I was just trying to, you know, add something, you know, that wasn't probably there that they wasn't hearing. And you do, you work in drum and bass. Yeah. Into Marcus Miller. I mean. That's right. I love that. I love that. I love Loved drum and bass, and when I first heard drum and bass, it was in uh, it was in London, and uh, yeah, I was I went down in this basement, and all I heard was bass, and then as soon as actually you know, it was his fast beats that were like you know 180 BPMs, 140, and then you know and they also had tabla sounds and stuff going on. It was a reggae tabla Indian. I was like, wow, this is great. And that also got me into listening to world music and everything, you know, from Indian to Brazilian, Latin, everything. Well, Rob, that was uh, pretty interesting, What I thought. I, I, I learned a lot about Logic. And I've known him. I mean, Logic played my wedding, for crying out loud. And I didn't realize a lot of the stuff he talked about there is really interesting. So we hope you enjoyed that. Now, for those of you who don't know, we're gonna. Uh, Marcus Miller is a wonderful, wonderful jazz musician. And DJ, has uh, he speaks of him. Um, the 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 Medeski Martin Wood we're gonna we're gonna tweet out the records that DJ Logic plays on with him if you don't know please keep an eye out for that we'll also throw it on the web our website insideoutwtns.com and we discuss Adam Deitch and Big Something in this who have been guests uh, Adam was our most recent episode and Big Something was uh, a few episodes back and um, although tonight Logic collaborates with Voodoo Visionary here he talks about working with Big Something first. Oh, Big Something. Those guys are awesome. It's great to collaborate with them. And we played before in the past. And uh, when it was time for them to, to do their thing, I was, there was no question I wanted to be a part of it. And uh, it's great to see them doing so many, so many amazing things right now. Is this the festival, festival you're talking about? No, I did, you did a studio thing with us. Yeah, studio, I, did a studio, okay. studio, a I did a studio thing. Big Something? <laughs> It's a band. No, I know Big Something's a band. I mean, as I also know sometimes I'm called Big Something, but yeah. that's because my last name's Weiner. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for encouraging him. All right, before we... I want to talk about Billie Holiday and Nina Simone, but yes. there, is a, there is a Grateful Dead thing that uh, DJ Logic was present for, a rat dog show at the Beacon Theater oh, in 2006. Yeah. This is the night Bob Weir met Donald Trump, and Donald Trump 
introduced Rat Dog, right? Is that yeah, correct? Was he running heard. around backstage <laughs> with whatever his paid, by, paid wife was at the uh, time? You know, it was just, everything just happened so fast, and for me it was a blur. But uh, it was good, you know, he came out, introduced, and uh, we all said, said hello. And, uh, I heard he was like a great guy. He was hanging out with everyone backstage and just yeah. real friendly. He was, he was a great Weir? guy. He was good. No, 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 no. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a great guy. You know, he was good at that time. You know, it was good. You know, and uh, we just came out and did the music and it was, everything was wonderful. Everything was wonderful. I had a good time. And another thing, you also like to play off of horns. Yes. If, if you want to be specific, 1231-01, there's uh, Scarlet Begonies with Willie Waldman with Rat Dog and you. Yeah, you're Willie. <laughs> now, are you uh, in that situation? Just uh, go off and do your own because I mean, you definitely well, we uh, um, augmented beautifully. Yeah, well, we improvised too. You know, like Bobby would give us a section where we would, he'll just walk away and it'll be me, Rob Wasserman, Jay Lane, and Jeff Clementi, and we'll just do a little improv thing, and then Bobby would just come back out, and then we'll segue into Eyes Open But Dead or Franklin's Tower, one out to two. Yeah. Yeah, when I put it out there, I'm on a dead message board. When I mentioned DJ Logic, all of them mm-hmm. talked about a thunderstorm in, in uh, Vermont one time, and yeah. you, you and Clemente and, and Jay just went nuts. Oh, yeah. yeah Very yeah, much. Yeah, Do you have yeah. a memory of that evening at all? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hazy. Hazy, that's right. Hazy. Yeah. All right, well, let's get on, because he remixed a legendary Billy Holiday song and then sort of a more lesser-known Nina Simone song. Uh-huh. And I think... The way you did each kind of demonstrates a lot of your versatility. Yes. First of all, with Billie Holiday, the song's glad to be unhappy, and you wanted to maintain the original feel of the sound of the song while bringing it up to contemporary. And you used mostly, not entirely, but you used mostly sounds sourced from that track. Yeah. So and repurposed, that. sort of. Yeah, it was, a st- it was one of Billie Holiday's standards, and it was a... Re- um, yeah, they, uh, Sony asked me to do a pick a tune, and uh, I went through the catalog, and glad to be unhappy. It was one of those tunes I thought it was, it was interesting, interesting name, you know, title for a track, and uh, I listened to it, and then um, I just kind of vibed with it, and I just wanted to kind of, like you said, bring it current, you know, up to date, and uh, I was thinking about Jill Scott or Erica Badu at the time, because he's a... He's a these are artists who've gone back and listened to like Billie Holiday and Nina Simone and Ella and stuff. So, you know, I just wanted to make something upbeat that everybody could relate to from uh, the, the, the purest, the old, you know, Billie Holiday purest as well as the new. And, uh, you know, when you hear, sometimes you hear remixes, people just take just the chorus and then music, you know, and then go back to the chorus and then music. So I just wanted to take the whole thing and uh, I brought in a couple artist friends of mine to help me do that. I brought in Adam Deitch um, from Lettuce on drums. And I brought in Neil Evans from Soul Live on keys. And uh, it was a, you know, it was a collective thing. We sampled uh, the actual um, uh, track, uh, certain parts of the track, I should say, because we couldn't get everything. And uh, Sony sent me like a two... They sent me a two-track, so when I got that, the vocals had some string sounds in the background, so I couldn't use the vocals. Sound bleed. Sound bleed, yes. And uh, so I just wanted to kind of recreate the track, but like I said, make it upbeat. And uh, 
um, I took the actual vinyl of her, her vocal from a remastered uh, vinyl pressing. And once we got the track to sound the way it wanted to be, you know, I kind of scratched uh, Billie Holiday's vocals right on top of it, all live. And I got goosebumps doing it, you know? <laughs> so Arguably the greatest female singer who ever walked the face of the earth. That yeah. is not hyperbole. That is yeah. true. So I was, I was very proud of that. that. That brought tears to my eyes as well as goosebumps because it came out, came out well and people, you know, accepted it. And it was, it was, people understood it, so it was good. And then Nina Simone, you took an improvisation. Yeah, Nina Simone. And built a song around it, essentially. That's right, yeah. And then Nina Simone was called Old Bay Woman. And uh, you know, if you know Nina Simone, she's going to talk talk her talk and talk about how black she is and, and all political and everything. And this one was more about her just talking about herself. You know, she wasn't um, very vulgar. She wasn't raging or nothing, but it was more about just herself and where she came from and who she was. And uh, it was no keyboards or nothing on there, so... Uh, it was just her and percussion, and um, like I said, the song was called Obey Woman, and you know, if you don't know Obey Woman, this is from the islands. Uh, so I brought in, uh, once again, Neil Evans, and uh, Adam Deitch came in as well, and I think I had Casey Benjamin on there as well, and uh, yeah, and that was another track. I dropped, I put a beat together, and uh, just kind of turned it into a whole different groove. And the beat's all yours, you're not... Yeah, the beat's all me programmed, and uh, yeah, and it's called Nina, Nina Simone Reimagine, same with the Billie Holiday Reimagine as well. Now, we, we've got about five minutes uh, left here that we can, we can chat it up, so let's, t let's talk about the future here. What's, uh, what projects are you currently working on, and what's, what's, up in the, uh, what's on the deck? Yeah, you got the next CD in the works, right? Well, yeah, Project Logic is one of the next things I'm going to be working on. We just played the Newport Jazz Festival. How about and that? Who, who's We're, in Project Logic right now? Well, it was a reunion, yeah. wasn't it? Well, it was <laughs> somewhat, somewhat. <laughs> I couldn't get everybody, but, you know, I got cats that, uh, you know, I love working with, and new cats who I'm just... You know, we just started working with. Um, I had uh, Keon Harrow on trumpet. I had uh, Mono Neon on bass. Um, who else? Vernon Reeve played guitar. Uh, James Hurd on keys. Um, Jalil Shaw on sax. Uh, Marcus Gilmore on drums. And uh, yeah, it was it was a wonderful performance. Uh, we got there kind of late, but you know, we did our thing and. Uh, to come up, you know, I've played Newport Jazz with uh, other different artists as a guest, but this time was my, this was my project. So being like the first DJ to come up in there with my band, it was it was, it was phenomenal, and they got a great response. I'm gonna so call you hard. Bob Logic. So, yeah. So you think you'll record with that lineup, tour with that lineup? I would love to. You know, all those guys are you know phenomenal in their own. All those guys are wonderful in their own. If you haven't seen those guys, you should go out and, and uh, look these guys up. And they're amazing musicians. And, um, you know, just sometimes you get musicians and you, you want to get them in a different element than what they're usually playing. And, and you know, they kind of open up and bring about that here. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, so that's I like to bring that same band in the studio because that was a... I was slamming. It was it was off the hook, and uh, we got some stuff coming up, some more stuff coming up. So I look forward to all of you checking it out. 
I got to ask this, though, because I already told Steve that I work at the Coca-Cola Roxy Theater, mm -hmm. and we just had a guy by the name of Logic, a rapper. Uh -huh. Positive vibration guy. Stopped in the middle of the show and played a video game, which, cause, what? <laughs> Are you familiar with this guy? Were you upset at all that he right. chose that name? Right. Was there any sort of... He's heard all about Come on, it. Rob. Uh, you read the restraining uh, order. Come on. I had no comment. <laughs> I had no comment. I think that's the logical thing to say. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But, Just uh, never stop your show to play a video game, please. Uh, Bush League. I'll, I'll defend him and say we all know who's you know, first. I, I, I love everybody doing what they do, art, you know, of the art, you know, and doing their thing. So, you know, I just only know one logic, you know. That's, that's it. That's right. <laughs> but seriously, we are very, very grateful that you made the effort to come here. Thank you so much. Thank please, you. once again, DJ Logic, Steve Lopez. Lopez. Okay. And Logic, Thank we'll you guys be sitting for coming on all early. night tonight with Voodoo Visionary, and maybe even hop onto the drums. What do you say? Sure. I thought we were doing a question and answering. No? Uh, guys, well, yeah, we can do question and answering. Uh, so there you go. It was a great online. attentive audience and uh, a nice little chat. The interview portion is about an hour long, and it's kind of – I got a good feedback that people enjoyed watching us do it live, and um, – so that's one of the reasons why you come early. But then after that, we have games. Seth is known from the Destination concerts and from Jam Cruise and stuff like that. He's, he's really, really well known for um, coordinating and executing these games that often involve the musicians and always involve the uh, fans, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. So what I'm what Rob's talking about is different games. I have my infamous bingo. It's a name that tune bingo where you basically find I play some music, you find it on the bingo card, and you win prizes. Uh, we also do different things uh, that are uh, basically look if you like late night TV show and the shenanigans they do. That's what it, we're talking about. And so I'm gonna leave it to that. And um, I have developed the name Rock Shenier. And I am your rocktioneer. That's going to be uh, yourrocktioneer.com. Uh, you going to let me introduce you? Do a more dramatic introduction. When? Just before the auctioneer part, to separate the games from the auction. And sure. To, and to keep people in the room. I love Wild Man Steve, but you remember at the Christmas thing? Hey, he, everybody, he, the silent auction is taking place in the other room. Everybody go over there. And, and by the way, stick around for the live auction. Wait. I what? love him on the radio. I've never really liked him that much as an MC at, at shows. I don't know why T-Dog adores him so much. But I don't know why. He, he cleared the room right before the yeah, that was. You were pissed. I was. I was. I was pissed. Yeah. It was a little annoying, but it's a good story now. You know. You know, you roll with it. I mean, I didn't let it get to me. Great guy though, and his radio shows on the internet now. Check it out, Wild Man Steve. Awesome, awesome on the radio. Um, so, what about the auctioneering, dude? How do you feel about your auctioneering skills? How do I feel? I feel like I'm uh, fine tuning it, and and I it's therapy for me. It's uh, I've I've always wanted to be a performer in some ways or always felt I was and I've, this is my calling no it's my bid calling <laughs> so I went through and, and uh, you know we can't just sit here and listen to aux the whole auctioneering thing because it would drive people but there's a little a little brief portion of Seth auctioneering and again I, I was standing next to Jim Laughlin at points and he was enraptured then I went out in the crowd and was hanging with people and they were more focused on Seth than talking to each other which is pretty cool it's hard to especially this day and age it's hard to get people's attention people want to chit chat well they're afraid because if they're chatting they high five they might, they might be at $10,000 right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 250 right there <laughs> So here we go. Here's Seth Auctionary, and that's going to be the end of this episode because after that we're going to play uh, Watermelon Man and Cold Sweat from the Voodoo Visionary set. Yeah, and it was a fantastic set. I'm so psyched to be able to have Voodoo Visionary. You know, this is this is the this is the core and the crust of of 
what WTNS Live is, is taking national talent like DJ Logic, pairing them with Atlanta musicians and Voodoo Visionaries on their way. I guarantee you, folks, you're, this is a band. This is, uh, you know, it's the same wave as Spafford and Big Something. Voodoo's just coming a little late to the party. So here, enjoy some auctioneering and some wonderful one-time only uh, collaboration. Sold. That makes a noise for DJ Logic. <laughs> because someone left tuna fish inside of this. But the smell is gone, I promise you. But the thrill is not. So we're going to sell this here. This is, again, autograph. Let me tell you by who. We said Perpetual Groove. We said uh, Moon Taxi. We said Brittany from Alabama Shakes. We said Umphreys McGee. And who did we say? That's right in the sea of Bootsy. That's right, Bootsy Collins. You're not going to get this anywhere. This is a one-of-a-kind, beautiful, beautiful piece. And we're going to start this bid at $50. Do I see $50 anywhere? We're, going to 50. we're at 50 right here. How about a 60? Do I see 60? 60 here. How about 80? Do I see 80? $80 anywhere. We're going to look for 80. 80 right over here. How about 100? We're going to make it fun. We got 100. We got 180. We got 100. Where's that 100? We got 100. We got 80. We got 100 right over here. 100. 120. 120. We got a 150. We got a 120. We got a 150. We got a 130. We got a 120. We got a 130. You can put in your card. You can put in her card. You can put in his card. Do we see the 130? We got a 120. We got a 120 going once. 120 going tight, 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 125 going twice, and he says, wait, 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 there's more. Make it 130, 130. Here we got 130, get a 140, get a 130, get a 140, and a 130, we'll go 140. What do you say, 140? Gonna go 140? She says, yes, she's going 140, but the question is, will you go 150? 140, get a 150, get a 150, get a 150, get a 150, get a 150. We're gonna 140 here, we're gonna go once on that 140. She's kissing you, you know what that means. We're going to 160! Now we're gonna 140, go to 140, go to 150. We're gonna go 150, we're gonna once on the 140 going twice. On the 140, and are we gonna go 150? Because we're about to help me now and say it together now. Sold! All right, thank you all very much. 
Uh, the items here will be in the back. And again, thank you. We got the casino going the rest of the night. And who's coming up? Voodoo what? With a bunch of all-star Atlanta musicians and, of course, DJ. All right. Thank you all. Give it up for all these awesome musicians who came out to play tonight. We're all here to support Inside Out, and we are here for you. If you missed the live auction earlier, there's some silent auction stuff back there. I don't know if the casino games are going or not, but thanks for your support. Thank you. 
Joe Marsnick, everybody.
Oh, 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 oh,